I'm so glad when young guys start getting a little older and dealing with <clears throat> what some of us who are older deal with. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you got a Bible, uh, we'll leave the rest of that for another discussion. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 and 3 this morning. Um, if you're joining us, maybe you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're in a series this summer uh, working through the book of Ephesians. We're calling it At War. Uh, in reference to what Paul talks about at the conclusion of the book, he talks about standing firm uh, in God's mighty power. How many think if you're standing firm in God's mighty power, you're, you're pretty safe? Standing firm in God's mighty power, putting on the full armor of God. And so, uh, you know, the first week we looked at um, chapter 1, which really talks about what God has done for us in Christ. We have a whole new identity. He's adopted us into his family. I love the phrase that follows that. It says, he made us holy and blameless in his sight, which is what he always wanted to do. You know, I think sometimes we think God regrets the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross. And the opposite is true. It's what he always wanted to do. He wanted to make us holy and blameless in his sight so that he could adopt us into his family. And so we talked a little bit about a whole new identity. We're armed with that. It's how we stand firm, and it's how we put on the full armor of God. Last week, we talked about grace, and I don't know about you, I've got to put on grace every day. I need the armor of grace to understand that it's by the grace of God that I'm saved. I was dead, but now I'm alive, not because of what I did, but because of what God did through Jesus Christ, and my faith is in Him. I'm alive uh, because of Jesus Christ, and of course, I get to walk with Him and hear His voice. I'm so thankful I'm armed with grace. This morning, we're going to talk about being armed together as the body of Christ uh, with a new unity, and I'm pretty excited to talk about that with you. Uh, but before I get into it, I'm going to tell you a story, because uh, I love that. Um, I don't know how many of you know Tony Campalo. Have you ever read one of his books or listened to him speak? He's actually educated as an American sociologist, so he's really into uh, just the culture around us, the sociology of our our nation, but he's also a pastor. He's an author, Christian author, and conference speaker, and he's really funny. Uh, although this won't be one of his funny stories this morning. Uh, a few years ago, he was speaking at a Christian conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. And um, after the conference one night, couldn't sleep, uh, so he went to the, a, a diner next to, or pretty close to the motel he was staying at, and uh, about 3 a.m. in the morning. And he got something to eat. The only ones there at the diner at 3 a.m. were him and a table of women who, uh, as he watched and as he listened, he figured out that they were prostitutes that had just got off work. And uh, I'm not sure how he could tell that. I'll just leave that to your imagination. But anyway, one of them's name was Agnes. And uh, one of the things he heard her mention uh, to the other ladies who were there at the table, is that tomorrow was her birthday and that she had never had a birthday party. After the women left uh, the diner, uh, Tony went to the counter, talked to the night manager named Harry, and asked if it would be okay to throw Agnes a birthday party the next morning, really, uh, 3 a.m. And uh, Harry said, sure. 
So 2.30 in the morning, he shows up, puts up this big sign, you know, all these letters across the diner. Happy birthday, Agnes. Streamers, the whole works. I can't believe a guy could do this. But anyway, cake and candles. And uh, he said, I don't know how word got out, but at 3 a.m., every prostitute in Honolulu was in that diner. So he, he said, here I am, a pastor in a room full of prostitutes. So it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, at 3.15, Agnes walked in. And uh, she was stunned. Big sign, happy birthday, Agnes. And everybody started singing, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. Agnes started crying. I mean, not just crying, but bawling. And, uh, you know, she'd never had a birthday party before. Harry, who was the night manager, got nervous, like a lot of men. When a woman starts crying, ladies, we don't know what to do. Okay? It's our nature to fix. Okay? When you start crying, you're not talking. We don't know what you want us to do. So we panic. Okay? We get nervous. Harry got nervous. He got a little gruff, a little afraid. Agnes? He pushed her, cut the cake. We all want cake. I, that's all he could come up with. <clears throat> but that's when Agnes looked down with tears in her eyes and looked back at Harry and said, could I keep the cake? I've never had a birthday cake. <laughs> Harry didn't know what to do. He looked over at Tony. Tony didn't know what to do. So they said, sure. So Agnes picked up the cake and walked out the door. Now what do we do? Harry didn't know what to do. Tony didn't know what to do. And all the ladies who were there didn't know what to do. The only thing Tony knew to do was to pray. So he asked if we could pray. And they all grabbed hands. Harry and Tony and all these ladies. He prayed, God, I ask you to help Agnes know how much you love her. God, I ask that you'd be good to Agnes and that you would keep her safe. Amen. That was his prayer. Well, some of the other ladies were crying by now. It got kind of quiet. Gradually the crowd began to leave. Stoney, uh, Tony stayed to, uh, to help clean up the party, of course. And, and Harry, while they were cleaning up, said, I, I didn't know you were a preacher. And uh, it was quiet for a while. And so then Harry asked, what kind of church do you go to? And Tony said, a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. <laughs> Harry said, no, you don't. He said, if there was a church like that, I would join. And Tony thought to himself, wouldn't we all? How many of us would want to be uh, part of a church that threw parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m.? <laughs> I don't know where we got this one that's so clean, so professional, so slick. Uh, but I think a, a church that throws 
parties at 3M for prostitutes would probably be a church that Jesus would like to join. Are you judgmental? Are, are you prejudiced? When people look different in you, when they act different in you, when they come from different cultures, when they have had different struggles in their life socially or economically or maybe morally. Maybe you aren't judgmental. Maybe you don't want to be. We all know it. Well, not me. So, so maybe you're not judgmental and maybe you're not prejudiced. At least you don't want to be. But maybe you're a little bit afraid. Sometimes when people are so different than you, it's, it's a little frightening. It's easier to you know, stay away to maybe keep your distance a little bit. You don't understand where, where they came from or how they got there sometimes. I have good news this morning. We don't have to understand completely who we are or how we got there here this morning in our church. Aren't you thankful for that? We can be one body in Christ and uh, regardless of people's backgrounds or where they come from. We can be one body in Christ. Could someone say hallelujah for that? I'm, I'm so thankful that the arms of Jesus stretch far enough to know the depth, the height, the length, the breadth, to know the love of God uh, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you remember? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God made you alive in Jesus Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no person can boast. And because of that, we can be one body in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that in this next section of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. He's going to refer to this as a mystery. It's, it's something that God has held secret. He's kept secret in past generations, but he's now revealed in Christ how both Jews and Gentiles, religious people and outsiders, how, can, how we all can be one in Christ. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we all have a little exposure to the Bible but me in particular, I don't know if I can understand completely how deeply the Jews and Gentiles were divided uh, from, from one another. Uh, the Jews literally uh, despised the Gentiles. They called them dogs to their face, dogs. Um, uh, the Gentile culture in that day was, was very base and very barbaric, uh, more so than, you know, we look around America or things that are happening uh, in, in our nation, and we just, you know, we tear our hair out, but it was much worse. Uh, very low value placed on human life. Uh, murder of slaves was common. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, just the brutality and the inhumanity of that, that was the culture. That was a part of this Gentile culture. Uh, they, they were very, you know, immoral sexually, uh, temple prostitution, uh, adultery was common with both 
of course, men and women, homosexuality, idolatry that included human sacrifice, the sacrifice of children. Can you imagine a mindset that would allow you to sacrifice your child for the sake of hopefully a blessing from a God who was made out of metal? I, I, don't, I don't know. A superstition, I guess, is what it would be, a superstition. They worship false gods out of fear. They didn't want the anger or the punishment. The, the gods of their day were, were totally undependable. You didn't know whether they'd be angry or whether they'd be kind. So they would literally, out of fear, sacrifice a child to a god? How can you be that base? How, how can you be that barbaric? The, the Jewish people despised them. They referred to them, as I mentioned, as dogs. Um, the, the Jewish people, totally unperfect. <laughs> totally un Read the Old Testament. <laughs> Not very perfect, but they were God's chosen people. And they were distinct among all the nations of the world. God called them the apple of his eye. Can you imagine? Of course, a prophecy not only about them, but about us today, the apple of his eye. But God did give uh, the, the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments and, and the, the, the sacrifices, the law. And with that, he taught them how to walk with God and worship God. That was the purpose of uh, Exodus and Leviticus in the Old Testament. He was teaching them to walk with God, to worship God, to value humanity. He taught them to treat each other as they would want to be treated. He said, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his donkey or his tractor or whatever. Now, they, were, they weren't perfect, but they were different. And over the centuries, being separated or set apart became uh, an idea of superiority within them, that they were God's chosen people. Pride became ingrained in the Jewish culture and... Uh, not only spiritually, but ethnically. And now the Apostle Paul is preaching that Jews and Gentiles could be one. Uh, the Jewish people hated him. That's why he was persecuted everywhere he went. Many of you know he was beaten with rods. He was stoned, they thought, to death, left dead. But he ended up uh, living, came back to life. I wonder who was responsible for that. But, but anyway, they, they, they hated Paul. And uh, this was a really, really hard message that they could be one in Christ. It was very difficult uh, to believe. Paul wouldn't waver. He's so passionate about this. And I hope you see his passion as we read this verse. He contended for and believed for unity in the body of Christ, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of culture. Uh, and differences. And so let me begin reading verse 11 of chapter th uh, 2, and I'm going to read all the way through uh, verse 13 of chapter 3. A lot of verses, but if you'll follow along, there'll be a couple of phrases that'll stick out for you this morning. So let me begin reading. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Don't forget that you Gentiles, uh, you outsiders, uh, you, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, uh, who were proud of their circumcision, uh, though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Uh, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you didn't know the covenant promises of God, uh, the, the promises he had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Uh, but now 
You've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. How many Gentiles we have in the room? <laughs> Probably all of us, okay? Might be, David's not here today, I don't see him, he's Jewish, but uh, hallelujah. You were far away, but now you've been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we all say hallelujah for that? Yeah, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. This had to do, of course, with, with the, the, the law and the washings and the sacrifices, circumcision, all those things. He, he tore that wall down, verse 15. He did this by ending the system of law with his commands and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Uh, now all of us can come to the Father uh, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Hallelujah. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know uh, God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me uh, as you uh, read when I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, and this is God's plan. Uh, so now he's going to summarize. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. We share equally in the riches inherited by God's children, insiders, outsiders. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him uh, by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me uh, the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mystery, this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, uh, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. This is an important verse I'm going to talk about a little later. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ 
and our faith in him, we now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. He was, of course, in Rome. Uh, he had been arrested and uh, beaten in Jerusalem because he was preaching to the Gentiles. And of course, uh, he appealed to Rome and he ended up in Rome in prison. But he says here in verse 13, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. Uh, you should feel honored. In other words, you should sense the value I place on you as my brothers and sisters uh, in the body of Christ. Can you feel his passion throughout these words? I know it's a lot to, to try to digest. Paul was the perfect one, if you remember his story, he was the perfect one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember, he was a Jew. In fact, he describes himself in Philippians chapter 3 as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a blue blood. I mean, there was no cross marriage throughout his lineage, throughout his history. He was a true tribe of Benjamin believer. Now, that's not very important to you this morning. Extremely important in Jewish circles. He, he was a Hebrew. of He, he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. According to, uh, he was a Pharisee, the strictest sect, according to the law. And he could even say this, and according to the, to the law, he was spotless. He was blameless, okay? He never missed a washing. <laughs> he never missed a sacrifice. He, he never, never did something, according to 613 rules, that the Jewish people had concocted out of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, he, he had never broken a law? According to the law, blameless. This guy is so clean, he squeaks when he walks. Okay, on Saturday, he washed his driveway with a toothbrush, okay? He is a compulsive control addict. I don't know if you know anyone like that. He's absolutely a fanatic about the law to the point where many of you know he was persecuting the early church. And in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to arrest more believers and throw them in prison. And what happened? Light from heaven. Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his horse. And uh, Paul, thankfully, had uh, the sense of mind to ask, uh, or, or actually Jesus said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul back then, why are you persecuting me? And, 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 and Paul had the uh, sense to ask, who are you, Lord? He recognized that God, of course, was revealing himself to him. Who are you, Lord? And, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. At that moment, the Apostle Paul saw that everything he had lived for was trash. Everything he had been giving his life to meant nothing. In fact, he was fighting against God his entire life. And I don't know if you've ever come to that point in your life, but when you realize that you've left God out of your life, you realize the mess you're in now is because you have been running from God rather than running to God. How I many know that's pretty humbling? There's a brokenness that produces a love in you that can't be found any other way. When you understand how much God loves you, how lost you were, how you fought against God in your life, and yet God in his kindness reached out to you, there's something about it that changes your life. And that is the thing that motivated the Apostle Paul to want to preach to the Gentiles. They were dead in their sins, but they didn't understand it. They were part of a culture just like we are. 
we're a part of a culture that is warring against this. Demonic strongholds attack our minds, attack our culture. We talked about the schemes of the devil in the first week of this series, how the enemy has a blueprint where he's strategically planning strategy against mankind to drive us away from God. And I, you know, I was watching, I don't remember what sporting event it was recently, but they had a beer commercial. You know, it's interesting how much fun bars look like on TV. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, all the people in the bar are amazingly good looking and in great shape. I mean, there's no beer bellies in the bar when they're shooting commercials. They all have six packs or maybe they have 24 packs. I don't know, but they're, they're amazing. No one's supporting a keg. I mean, they're amazing. What is that all about? There's a strategy in the world. It's not tempting you to drink beer. What it's telling you behind the scenes, what it's not saying, it's okay to be worldly. It's not that bad. You can allow just subtly for things in your life that sometimes you know are wrong, but it's not that bad. Look at these people. They're having fun. And there's this subtle overtone in the world that's wanting to push us away from our faith constantly in our life. We're in a battle. We're in a battle in our lives. And it's so important to understand it's God's love that calls us back, his passion and his love. So let me say something about the church. Pride is a poison. I think we all know that. We've seen that in worldly settings. You know, nasty Germany with uh, the Holocaust, pride, and ethnic uh, pride. Uh, horrible. You saw it in Rwanda, 19... 94 with the Tutus, uh, the, the Hutsis, uh, literally mass murdering uh, Tutsis. Uh, you, you saw it in the United States if you've watched anything in regard to the way that blacks were treated by whites back uh, before the civil rights movement. Pride, ethnic pride, is a, is a horrible thing, but spiritual pride is a horrible thing, especially when it's in the life of the church. Spiritual pride, it divides and it separates empowers one group, puts another group down. Can I tell you what spiritual pride looks like? It always points to them. Point, points to people as groups of people. You know them? Can you believe what them, they are doing? I, I've seen spiritual pride uh, in the church. I've been a Christian for, uh, well, a little while. I remember back with the AIDS epidemics. Anyone remember back that far, 80s and 90s? Some of you uh, weren't born yet, and you missed some of this stuff. Hallelujah. But the judgmental attitude of the church back then, putting down, condemning people with AIDS, rather than being moved with compassion, they're getting what they deserve. Aren't you glad you didn't get what you deserved? Why? Horrible. The spiritual pride. I, 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 I've seen it. I, I see it today. It's, it's, it's common. When we point to them. When we point to them. Do you know that Jesus doesn't look at people as them. He looks at individuals. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. 
but when we point to them or look at them, I can remember, this is old stuff, but I, I can remember older people looking down at younger people. Look at those baggy jeans and yeah, skateboards. Anyone remember that? Does anyone remember when tattoos were kind of new? Kind of like the church wanted to pull its hair out. I can't believe they're doing that to their bodies. And, you know, piercings with, uh, you know, men wearing earrings and things. It was just like, am I talking to anyone here? I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in me. That's what bothers me. I've seen it in me. I've seen how quickly, how quickly I can be prejudiced. I've seen how quickly I can be judgmental. And, and, you know, the Bible talks about taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. It's so important on a regular basis, hopefully not daily, but often in my life to, to wait a minute, uh, to, to understand what, what Jesus would do. Remember when, when Jesus' disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans because they didn't want to allow Jesus to walk through their land? Lord, what should we do? Call down fire from heaven? <laughs> Jesus, these are my disciples, you know? I mean, they just didn't get it. They just didn't understand God's love. There's a different way for us to reach this culture. I don't think you realize there's a different way than a judgmental attitude. There's unity in the body of Christ. And there's something powerful about the body of Christ coming together in a unity of spirit to honor Jesus Christ. Now, I, I brought a little prop here this morning. Uh, borrowed it from my grandkids. Actually, uh, they're too old for this kind of stuff now. It just collects dust in the bedroom. But anyway, um, this is kind of like a Lego set. So I'm going to call it Legos because it's the only thing I can think of. It's not Legos. It's a different brand. and These are Mega Blocks or something like that. But The Apostle Paul talked about something that God was doing in the Spirit in the midst of amazing diversity people from different cultures and backgrounds and races, people who maybe at one time were prostitute, maybe at one time they were part of a gang, maybe one time they were addicted in drugs, maybe they killed someone. All this diversity, how God is taking all these people from different backgrounds and making them one in Jesus Christ and building a temple, a temple to the Lord that the glory of God could fill his temple. How many remember in the Old Testament when Solomon built the temple and the glory of God filled the temple to the point where the people couldn't stand? How many would love to see the glory of God fill his temple, fill his church? Now here's the problem. We, this would be a picture of us as individuals and unfortunately sometimes we're out here doing our thing focused on us. How many likes I have on Instagram or I don't know if Instagram even has likes. I don't know. But even in the church there's you know that phrase good and faithful servant. I feel like sometimes we want to be a good and famous servant. You know, we're willing to be a part of the body of Christ as long as we're we're up here. 
where people can see us. I'm not sure that's what, I'm not sure that's what Jesus meant when he said, I'll build my church in the gates of hell. God is building a church and he wants us to be part of it. He wants us to, he wants us to be fit together in his church. Now, I'll tell you right now, there is not a perfect church in the world. There are no perfect pastors who preach perfect sermons. There's no perfect worship teams. I promise you, you can find something wrong if you're looking for it. You can. But if you just want to honor Jesus Christ and allow him to build you together in the temple, I mean, don't you want to be a part of that temple? The Bible says it's a temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Don't you want to be linked together and connected with them? The apostles and the prophets. I mean, Abraham, David, Daniel, Jeremiah. I want to be a part of that. I want God to fit me together, build me into that temple. I, I want to be a part of the glory of God that began how many thousands of years ago, and yet he's been working throughout history to build that temple, founded on the apostles and, and the prophets, of Peter and Paul, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of the Pentecost. I want to be part of that, don't you? I do. But in order to, to, to allow that to happen, I have to allow Jesus to fit me into the temple. Okay, he can't do much with my life when I'm out here by myself doing my own thing. It's only as we allow him to fit us. Now, I want you to know that none of us can create unity in the body of Christ. That is not our goal. We're not trying to create unity. God created unity in Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ that we're one, even though we have so many different views and perspectives. I, I was working on this poor sermon, and I was thinking, Lord, there would be so many different views of this section of Scripture. I mean, one person would see one thing, one person would see another thing. By his grace, I saw these things. I don't know if they'll scratch where you're itch. You might go home and say, well, let's have breakfast. But anyway... We have a lot of different perspectives, but we lay aside our perspectives for the sake of Christ, and we allow him. He's the one who makes us one. He's the one who fits us together uniquely in the body so that he can build a temple. And I want you to see what happens. I want you to see, I'm going to put this here because I know you want us to keep looking at that beautiful temple. Um, I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 3. It's, it says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think we all know that Satan's strategy has been to destroy mankind since, of course, the fall. Uh, back in early uh, chapters of the book of Genesis, Satan's strategy to destroy mankind. God's strategy 
is to crush his head. God's strategy is to defy his schemes. And he wants to do that through the church, through the building of a temple of totally unique, different variety of people. He wants to build a temple where his glory can dwell and the satanic strategies of Satan can be destroyed. You know, I'm, I'm convinced. If, if you stay out here, I'm convinced the satanic strategies of Satan in your life can't be destroyed to the degree that it could be if you'd simply submit to Jesus Christ and allow yourself to be fit into the church, you will hold on to demonic strategies. You'll resist accountability. You will pick and choose the truth you want to believe in and not the truth that's building the temple. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's our nature. I'm not trying to point the finger at anyone. I'm just saying there's a demonic strategy in our world that says you don't need the church. And I want you to know that's a lie from hell. There's only one church that will live for eternity in Jesus Christ. And it's going to glorify God. It's going to defeat the strategies of hell. And I think there's something that happens when we allow God to fit us together in his church. And I don't know where you fit. I don't know if you're back here in the back. No one sees you. You know, you just like serving behind the scenes. I love people like that. I wish I could be there myself. But anyway, there's something about allowing the Lord to build us together that destroys demonic strategies in our life, in one another's life, in our community, and in the Agneses of this world. It's the Agneses of this world that are suffering because we won't allow our lives to be fit together into the temple that God is building. Okay, the Apostle Paul gave his life for that. He fought for that. It wasn't for him that he was preaching the gospel. It was for the sake of others that he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. It was for the sake of others, the Gentiles, those who were base and barbaric, who were involved in temple prostitution or whatever those things were. He wanted them to be rescued and he wanted them to be saved and he knew that God was doing it through the temple, through the power of the Holy Spirit in his church. And it's my prayer. It's my prayer as we come out of this COVID season that we'd come out stronger than we've ever been. More on fire for Jesus than we've ever been. More in love with one another than we've ever been. Allowing God to fit us together in a powerful way that we would be that temple. I, I have been praying, Lord, I, I feel like church needs to be different, but I don't know how. But I know that we need to be a place where your glory dwells. And that means we've got to learn to pray. We've got to learn to seek his face. We've got to learn to allow him to fit us together with other brothers and sisters in our life groups to help disciple and reach out to others who don't know the Lord. There are a lot of people that don't want to walk in here on Sunday morning, but they'll come to your life group to find out about Jesus. There's so many ways if we'll allow ourselves to be fit together into the temple 
that the glory of God can fill us and work through us in our community. And so with that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. And I'm going to invite you to lay your stuff aside. And <sighs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, well, I mentioned, I mentioned I've, I've been a Christian for a little while. Uh, not as long as some of you. But I have never loved the church more. I have never loved the church more. I can honestly say I've never loved Jesus more than I love him now. I've never wanted to give my life for more for the sake of the gospel than now. I don't know what that means. I just know even the young get tired and weary. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And I don't know if you're weary or you're tired, burn out on church or whatever. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And I want to invite us to contend again as we sing this uh, chorus, Waymaker. I believe he's going to make a way, make a way for the church to be fit together, built into a temple where the glory of God can dwell so that the Agneses of this world can get saved. So Lord, that's our prayer here this morning. Lord, we want you to fill this place, fill this temple, and that means our lives, Lord. And as you fit us together, we thank you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you gave the Holy Spirit to those who would ask. So fill us here today, strengthen us, and work through your church in the week ahead. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.